0: Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. 3, 2, one, zero, 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 zero. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is Episode 54. Glad to have you back with the podcast. I'm glad to be back here. Of course, I did a podcast uh, last week and I'm looking forward to maybe doing two podcasts this week if not it'll be the first week of february we'll be back on our twice a week schedule that we were on for a while there and then uh, the book on hamilton kind of put a damper on that but things are getting back to normal so um I'm hoping to uh, be doing this more often and um this is a lot of fun so uh it's something that I really look forward to doing um one uh housekeeping note for those of you that have subscribed to my email list for a little while the uh, free ebook and audiobook were not working uh, but that is now fixed so if you want to go out and uh, unsubscribe and resubscribe uh, you should be able to get if you did not get the audiobook and the PDF file you should be able to get those now Uh, if you have not subscribed to my email list just go to BrianMcClanahan.com right at the top of the page you get a free ebook Forgotten Founders uh, also I have an audiobook version of that, which yours truly is reading. So if you would like to get, uh, that, I'd really love to have you on my email list and I send out emails. Um, I'll be doing this more often, but, um, uh, at least once a week or twice a week as I do my podcast, but I'd like to, uh, one of my goals is to try to email y'all more often about different things. So, uh, please subscribe and, uh, stay in touch. Also, I will be having some really great stuff that will be used in in promotion of my forthcoming How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. Uh, So be looking for those things, uh, and I don't think you'll be disappointed with them. Okay, so what's the topic of the podcast today? Well, I want to do a little review of a book that um, I read over the uh, holiday season. And it's been out for about a uh, little over a year now, Uh, but I finally had a chance to read it. And um, sometimes you read a book that you wish you had written, and this is one of those times I, I can quibble, and I will quibble with some of the information in the book, but the topic of the book, I think, is timely, even with the election of Donald Trump. Now, I know a lot of people are going to feel satisfied with that. Maybe not many listeners to this podcast, I know I have a lot of people who are... Uh, you know, at least tenuous about, uh, you know, and tentative about um, what uh, Donald Trump is going to do. Uh, I have made the case that Trump um, may not be as bad as people think. There are some issues, of course, we're, we're going to disagree with Trump, and I'm going to disagree with Trump. But um, even in the climate of having Donald Trump in office, I still think that federalism, as I called on this program, think locally, act locally, I still think federalism is the key to restoring uh, the American system, and uh, the American federative system uh, will be the key to providing the greatest amount of liberty uh, in America. Now, the podcast I, I did last time on incorporation did receive quite a bit of comment uh, comments from people who did not agree. Uh, they're afraid that uh, if you don't have the incorporation of the Bill of Rights to the 14th Amendment, that somehow... Uh, what's going to happen is that we'll have states running roughshod over civil liberties. I just tend to disagree, and I think that this particular book that I'm going to talk about actually speaks to that idea. Um, now, he he doesn't address that uh, in detail, the author of this book, but uh, he does get into the um, uh, importance of the states, uh, and he makes the case that states have been far less likely to abuse your liberty than the central government. And so the book I'm going to talk about today is entitled A Less Perfect Union, The Case for States Rights by Adam Friedman. Now, uh, Friedman also wrote a book on the Constitution entitled The Naked Constitution. He is from New York. He's an attorney. And uh, I can fault him for a couple of things. For example, uh, he supported Mitt Romney. Uh, and uh, the the chance that Mitt Romney would run for president this last election cycle. So, And he, and he blogs, at least he was for a time, at ricochet.com. He hasn't been doing much uh, in the last uh, year since the book came out. I, I don't know what's happened to him. He's kind of disappeared. Uh, I did see that on his um, his Twitter feed he did post something about his wife's company, but he hasn't been doing a whole lot on his own. And that's unfortunate because this particular book did a nice job explaining why federalism, is the key to restoring, or what Donald Trump says, making America great again. It, it is the key to everything. Uh, and this is what I've been saying on this podcast since the beginning. And anything you've ever uh, seen from me or read from me, you know, if you look at my uh, uh, videos over at learntruehistory.com, and then, of course, if you uh, read my blog or uh, read any articles I write, whether it's uh, you know, for mainstream media sources, conservative media sources, or if you look at lewrockwell.com, or if you follow me on abbevilleinstitute.com, this is one of the things that I talk about constantly, is the importance of federalism. And this particular book does a very nice job of explaining a variety of issues that would be uh, better if we actually let the states handle these problems rather than the central government. So the first half of the book uh, and by the way, you know, I'll put a link to this on my when I send out the email and at the at the show notes, so you can go out and buy this book. Uh, the very first part of the book, uh, Friedman, goes into a history of federalism, and here he does a relatively good job explaining that federalism, the idea that the states had primacy in the central government, or and I should say under the Constitution, the central government was actually subordinate to the states in a variety of different ways. You know, the central government only has uh, certain enumerated powers that are outlined in Article I, Section 8. Uh, there are potentially other powers that are not in that particular section. For example, the ability to uh, suspend habeas corpus, um, the regulation of the territories, which I think was uh, misinterpreted, uh, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, so there are the things there that the, that the uh, general government can do. But the states control everything else, and this is a point that I made in my Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution over and over again, that most issues are actually state issues. And so Friedman does a very nice job in going through the history and explaining how this actually worked. Um, One thing I I will quibble about with uh, with Friedman, uh, he does say that secession is not necessarily the uh, extension of states' rights, that states' rights only operate within the Constitution, that secession is um, something completely different and actually the antithesis of states' rights. Now, I would say this is not the case. Now, what he's doing here is is taking a pretty standard approach to uh, states' rights f- from a much softer position because the argument against states' rights, of course, as Tom Woods and others have pointed out and uh, nullification, is that it's all in support of slavery and race. And so he does address that in the book. Uh, for example, he says that Uh, segregation, which when you start talking about states' rights, oh yeah, but uh, of course it's only been used for evil purposes. Uh, Segregation was one of them. And so he says, yeah, that's true. It was used. But he says segregation violated the 14th Amendment. Now, I I will contest this on the grounds that the 14th Amendment had nothing to do with segregation. In fact, uh, when the 14th Amendment was passed, uh, D.C. schools were still segregated. So if the 14th Amendment was designed to take care of segregation, then Uh, D.C. schools would have been desegregated, but of course that wasn't the case. Uh, So I I do think he makes a very strong case, and I think this eventually came out, that segregation violated state law, Uh, and when the issue was challenged, um, that the state courts actually started striking some of this down, particularly in Virginia, uh, because it violated state law. Uh, So uh, the states were actually working against it at times, even though you had uh, you know, legal segregation. Uh, so I think that, you know, he, he weakens his case by bringing up the 14th amendment, which I, I just made in the last podcast. Uh, also with the issue of secession, he's saying, you know, secession is not an extension of states' rights at all, uh, that, uh, s- uh, states' rights only operate within the, uh, federal system. And again, this is not true. Uh, if you can't leave, then the states really have no authority. And so you have to understand the states are, um, the creation of the people of the states and so if a political community decides that it wants independence self-determination then that is the fullest extension of the power of the state and so again these are two particular issues where I say you know invoking the 14th Amendment actually weakens this case and so does saying that secession is not an extension of of states rights that actually weakens this case as well but because ultimately and as as many members of the founding generation pointed out if you can't leave the Union then you really don't have any quote unquote states rights There are no state powers. There has to be a final check. And the founding generation over and over again from 1794, after the Constitution was ratified, from 1794 uh, forward, throughout that entire generation, invoked the idea of secession many times. In fact, uh, when you look at New York and Virginia, they had resumption clauses that they wanted to put into their conditional ratification of the Constitution. Look, if, if this thing goes bad, we can get out of the Union. Uh, so it's important to understand that uh, states' rights and secession actually go hand in hand. Um, one other thing he said was that the Confederate Constitution of 1861 was just a copy of the U.S. Constitution with the main difference being slavery. Now, again, this is, uh, this is not a good historical value evaluation of the Confederate Constitution. Uh, there were many differences in that Constitution uh, compared to the U.S. Constitution, and a lot of it had to do, in fact, with the powers of the states. Now, uh, many people uh, would make a case that the Confederate Constitution actually enhanced the power of the central authority, but of course it did some things that were dramatically different. For example, its uh, it's, uh, judiciary was never, its federal federal judiciary was never even put into place. Uh, The state courts handled everything, which um, was essentially how the founding generation thought that a lot of litigation would be handled in the United States. The central, uh, government and the federal judiciary had very limited powers and scope uh, limited jurisdiction and so uh, many of the cases that went before the federal judiciary would should not even go before the federal ju- judiciary so uh, that is one difference plus the uh, the Confederate Constitution did eliminate federally funded internal improvements uh, eliminated protective tariffs uh, so there were things that it was doing that were drastically different to the US Constitution and Uh, Maybe I'll do a podcast just on that particular issue because I think understanding the Confederate Constitution as an extension of American constitutional thought is important. Uh, We we don't just have one constitution in the United States and one constitution in U.S. history. We've had several constitutions, including the Articles of Confederation, including the state constitutions. And so understanding American constitutional history is not just looking at the U.S. Constitution and saying this is our only constitution. Uh, That actually creates problems. So those are some of my quibbling with his uh, historical interpretation. But when you get to actually the meat of the book and where he outlines where the federal government has gone wrong, it's gone off the rails, and it begins to abuse power, uh, some of this stuff is really good. And, in fact, uh, the book is well-written. It's punchy. uh, It's funny at times. um, And so uh, it's written for a popular audience. Uh, one other thing I could say about the book is he spends a lot of time trying to persuade the left that, in fact, uh, the issue of federalism is more important uh, for them than it is to the right. And again, I I, I do have a problem with this at times uh, because everyone needs decentralization. Everyone needs federalism. Uh, the left is more committed to centralization than the right, but as we're seeing with uh, this form of nationalism that has now swept the United States in the 2016 election. Uh, the uh, right needs this too. They need to understand that even though they've got their guy in office, they still should start saying, we need federalism in a variety of issues, and we need to stop looking to the central government to solve all of our problems. And uh, Friedman does make a pretty good case of that, but I think he tries to lean uh, on trying to persuade the left uh, more in the book than the right uh, and of course, the left was in power when he wrote this, 2015. Um, so I think that uh, that was the point. However, uh, there are so many issues that uh, we need to explore on both the left and the right that could that should be and constitutionally must be handled by the states. One thing he does say, um, and <laughs> this is pretty funny, and he starts talking about uh, as a lawyer, he 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 uses um, as uh, talking points at times, you know, various uh, uh, court decisions that support his positions. But uh, he also uh, says some pretty funny things about federal legislation. For example, he says, quote, Why does Congress create so many redundant laws? Because it's Congress, a body of political entrepreneurs forever on the lookout for cheap ways to take credit for tackling some tough problem or another. And this is actually one of the issues that federalism and what we should be talking about you know, when people say, oh, you know, we've got to have a, a federal solution to this problem. Generally, in most cases, the states have already come up with legislation to handle that problem. So now we create another layer of legislation, which is unnecessary. But um, everyone that goes to Congress is guilty of this. Uh, there's very few people that actually go out there and try to take a wrecking ball to the Federal Register of Laws. In fact, what we should be doing and asking of our congressmen is that they go up there and just start repealing laws. Uh, Because in most cases, as Friedman makes the case for, in most cases, the states have already passed laws that deal with particular issues. And one thing I think this book is particularly strong on is this idea that there are already laws generally that deal with just about any crime you can think of at the state level. And so what we've done is federalized every single uh, legal issue. And he points out that constitutionally, and this is a little section of, of the book entitled Everyone's a Criminal, he points out that uh, whatever the number is, it is higher than the number of federal crimes provided for in the Constitution. He's talking about laws that have been passed by Congress to deal with quote-unquote federal crimes, which is only four. In the Framers' original plan, Congress was delegated the power to punish, one, treason, two, counterfeiting, three, piracies and felonies committed on the high seas, and four, offenses against the laws of nations. As Thomas Jefferson observed in the Kentucky Resolutions, Congress may punish these four sets of crimes and no other crimes whatsoever. So think about all the, f- all the things that are now federal crimes. And he talks about how this is so abusive and that the states are the ones who really should be handling crime. The federal government only has four areas constitutionally. And this is a very strong case, and I think something that most people don't think of, You know, we have all these federal uh, agents running around, whether it's, uh, you know, take your pick of the federal agency that can go out and punish people uh, for a, a variety of crimes. We have so many of them now that you could break a crime for doing, a federal crime for doing just about anything. And he actually points that out. You could actually be guilty of a federal crime if you go to your employer and you say you're sick one day and you're really not. I mean, that's amazing, but it's true. Uh, so there are so many ways the federal government could actually go out and get you uh, for breaking a federal, uh, a federal law when, in fact, they only have four delegated areas where they can pass legislation that would create a federal crime. So what we should be asking for of our congressional leaders and the U.S. Congress is to repeal these laws. Go out there and just completely destroy the federal register of, of, uh, of laws that deal with a criminal code. We don't need it. The states already have all these things, and the states already do it. So I think this particular uh, uh, chapter is great, uh, because he gets into this idea of the fact that the states have already passed so much legislation dealing with crime that the federal government doesn't need it, and it's all redundant. Another particularly strong case of the book, or part of the book, I should say, uh, is where he talks about federal land. Now, of course, this is a major issue. We've been talking about federal land. We had... The Bundy's out west, and we've been dealing with this issue of federal land. Uh, Friedman actually makes a case that, and I think a very strong case, and I agree with him, that federal land ownership is unconstitutional except in certain areas. Uh, And he points these two areas out. Uh, That under the Constitution, Congress's exclusive control extends to only, one, the District of Columbia, and two, other places, quote, purchased by the consent of the legislatures of the state, for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. So he says, in other words, the federal government was not meant to be a big landlord outside the federal district. How did it end up owning 28% of the land in the United States? The short answer is by flouting the law. So the the U.S. government owns 28% of the land in the United States and most of the land in the West. They own large chunks of several Western states. And... um, uh, this is actually important because what happens when the federal government owns all this land is that the states cannot use it. Uh, they can't manage it. They can't develop it. And so you have many of these western states who lag you know, lag behind the eastern states because their tax revenue is much lower. So they end up being impoverished by the federal government. He also points out that you know water rights now are controlled by the federal government. You can't even get your own water because... The, uh, the uh, Forest Service will say you can't use machines. Uh, there was a case where there were some wells that dried up in a particular state. And uh, the, the uh, Forest Service actually said you can't use machines to uh, open these wells. So people went up with shovels uh, and tried to open these things up. And, I mean, they were blocked over and over again by the federal government because there were some owls in the area. I mean, this is how ridiculous. These people were going to just die of thirst. But the federal government didn't care. They were more worried about protecting the owls in the area. Uh, And so how did all this happen? Well, he says in 1976, Congress gave up uh, the pretense that it was ever going to sell its Western possessions by passing the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, which declares, quote, it is the policy of the United States that the public lands be retained in federal ownership unless it is determined that disposal of a particular parcel will serve the national interest. So in essence, what they've done is flip the the original Constitution on its head. They say, no, 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 we're going to own federal land. And you can do nothing about it. States. So this is a really again a, an important issue. This is another area where uh, the federal government has abused its power, and that's the, the second half of the book does a very good job with this. One other thing, I, I mean, this is just fantastic about the book. Any book that quotes Kirkpatrick Sale, and the Tenth Amendment Center, or at least mentions the Tenth Amendment Center. This is a mainstream book. It's a Harper Collins book. This book was not something that uh, you know came out with a small independent press. This book is a HarperCollins book. I mean, it's a. It's, uh, now, it didn't sell as well as I think it should. It was number one on Amazon in its area for a little time, and uh, the Wall Street Journal ran a, an editorial, or, you know, a book review about it. Um, so it did have some, some pretty mainstream press. Uh, I don't know why it didn't sell as well. I think it's because um, I, I'm not certain that Friedman promoted it as well as, you should, as he should have himself. But any bo- book that goes out, mainstream book that quotes Kirk Sale, and uh, supports the Tenth Amendment Center is all right by me. I mean that's that's amazing. Uh, when I looked at that, I said, "My gosh, he's actually." Got, and, he, and he glowingly quotes John C. Calhoun. I mean that's sacrilege. You can't do that. Uh, but he does. In fact, he says Calhoun was actually right. Uh, looking back at the history in the in the tariff controversy in the eighteen thirties, so uh, Friedman is uh, is bold. I'll give him that. Um, and and supporting some people and uh, that that you just don't see in the mainstream. I think, um, overall, one of the strongest parts of the book is uh, a chapter he entitled, A Lasting Peace, and he gets into the nationalization of our state militias and how that was never the goal of the founding generation. Uh, And this is an issue that no one really talks about anymore, but um, there was a push uh, by the left at one point to uh, try to get the states to block the nationalization of our guard units. Now, you have to trace the history of this. We had state militias up until the early 20th century when you had the creation of the National Guard. And um, Friedman says that the best way to handle this problem is to allow the states to, quote-unquote, nullify federal orders to deploy National Guard troops. And he says, you know, there's really only a few areas where state militias can be used, and that's to defend against invasions, suppress insurrections, or to execute federal law. And, of course, Madison even said here, these are the only cases wherein Congress can interfere with the militia. Now, of course, what we have are National Guard units, which are supposed to be the state militia, being sent over to the Middle East, deployed in international combat zones. That was really never the design of the state militias, and so there was an attempt called the Bring the Guard Home resolutions that started uh, in the Bush administration. And then, of course, these things disappeared during the Barack Obama years. He says the only people really defending or bringing up this this push now is the Tenth Amendment Center. And it's amazing how that happens, how these, uh, you know, when, when the left is out of power, they miraculously rediscover federalism. And same thing with the right. When they're out in power, they're 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 in favor of federalism. This is the inconsistency of the American polity that I think needs to be corrected. And it's why I continually hammer this idea that think locally, act locally is the only way. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right to actually uh, create a political environment in which you're happy with the results. Um, and of course, you know the the point is. I mean, this this is actually. Uh, pretty bold for a mainstream conservative writer which I think Friedman is to start backing things like uh, ending foreign adventurism um, y- you just don't see that uh, from anyone who is uh, writing with people like Mark Levin I mean he does so it's uh, it's pretty pretty impressive um, in fact he he calls the the um, the presidents like Bush and Obama who have used National Guard units for foreign adventurism, domestic despots. Uh, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Uh, and so um, what he advocates is that, you know, what we need to do is create, um, uh, at least have the ability for, have Congress repeal uh, a, a key provision or a key amendment. It's called the Montgomery Amendment which would restore to uh, the governors the ability to block federal mobilization orders. Uh, so he says Congress could do that. I mean, we could restore federalism that way. In fact, I'll get to his conclusion in a minute in what he says we should do. Uh, but also, you know, create, uh, he says we should create state defense forces, uh, which are completely outside of the purview of the uh, general government. And several states have done this. Uh, but if more people got involved in state defense forces, we wouldn't need the National Guard. Uh, you could sign up for the Army Reserves, but the states could actually bypass the entire National Guard system just by creating state defense forces. So uh, I think that's a, it's an important uh, recommendation that he made, but this is one of the problems that we have with too much centralization of power, uh, you get situations like the National Guard. So, um, what does he think we should do? Um, well, the one thing Friedman says that should happen is that you should put pressure on your congressmen to repeal or propose legislation that will restore federalism now again, here is a problem I have with the book uh you're You're working through the Leviathan, and the chances of that happening are slim to none. Um, you might have some principal people that go to Congress and they might push for more uh you know federalism, but most of the time what's going to happen? When somebody gets to Washington, D.C., they're going to push for federal legislation to do things that they shouldn't be doing. So really, this comes down to things like the state defense forces. The states have to work to bypass all of this stuff. And essentially, they, essentially, essentially, they have to ignore the general government. And, um, you know, I, I uh, proposed in my nine presidents who screwed up America, there needs to be constitutional amendments. Now, Friedman's against that because he says it's too difficult, but maybe not. Uh, because you can use the states, you can bypass the central government by using the state ratification method, or Article 5. Uh, you can also use the states just to ignore. He brings up the fact that uh, several states, have, for example, have cut off the water, and this is something the Tenth Amendment Center has been pushing, have cut off the water to uh, NSA buildings. This has happened in Utah. And it says, look, you're not going to get water to uh, cool your supercomputers. And the states can do that. They don't have to um, comply with uh, federal mandates to provide water for a federal building. I'll uh, just say you can't have it. So you're using too much. So I think there are things the states can do, and you don't have to work through Congress. Uh, one thing he does point out, and I don't think he doesn't, he develops it enough uh, because he is an attorney, and this is something that we really need to discuss, but is removing federal jurisdiction uh, over so many uh, legal issues uh, and one of the things we can do is repeal Section 25 of the 1789 Judiciary Act, which allowed for uh, direct appeal of state court decisions to federal court. Uh, if that would go away, you would see far fewer cases that would be decided by federal judges. And he does bring up that you know federal judges are a real problem because they just go around the entire system. So um, I think there are several good conclusions in this book, and the book is definitely worth your time. Like I said, there's very few books that I read, and I think, gosh, you know, I wish I had written that or, uh, or I wish I had, uh, you know, um, said that. Uh, one of these days I'm going to get around to writing a book like this, uh, but in a different way. There are some things that, um, that I don't think he did well that he could do better. Uh, but he does conclude, he has a very nice conclusion. He says, quote, states' rights is not a matter of ideology. It's not about whether government should be big or small, interventionist or laissez-faire, conservative or liberal, peaceful or bellicose. It's about who decides these issues, state and local communities, or a tiny cadre of Washington elites and their special interest patrons. On that question, the left and right agree. Conservatives say they believe in Tenth Amendment rights and competitive federalism. Liberals say they want diversity and small-scale democracy. When both sides come together to support states' rights, will be on the way to restoring the perfectly imperfect union that our founding fathers bequeathed us. So I think that's a very nice conclusion. It is true. Um, as I said on this podcast, small is beautiful. Uh, think locally, act locally. These are things that people on the left and the right agree with. Uh, and I, I think that more than any more than anything, the American tradition is self-determination. And federalism, states' rights, whatever you want to call it, is the fullest uh, expression of small is beautiful, self-determination, think locally, act locally, that we can have. You can control what happens in your own backyard. I think he is right that the federal government, uh, you you do need to pay attention to who's representing you in Washington, and you need to put a lot of pressure on them to uh, repeal legislation that violates federalism. Uh, one thing I did see yesterday on uh, Facebook, somebody I think had posted it uh, in the Jason Stapleton program uh, Facebook group, but it was from a leftist congressman who's now retired, who said, "Look, th- the way you really make change in Congress is you go to their meetings, you go to their town hall meetings, and you give them you give them heck about uh, you know whatever uh, issue it is. You get in their face, and you and you make your voice heard. You can't just write your congressman or phone your congressman. That does nothing." It does nothing. Uh, So I've mentioned this on, on, I think on this podcast before, but you know, in in this particular congressman, former congressman brought it up. When you go out and you write your congressman, they never see it. Uh, You have a staffer write you a letter back. When you call them, they never get the call. They have a staffer write you back. You're talking to a staffer. Some just recently, uh, you know, uh, many times recent uh, college graduate who really doesn't care what you think. Um, so the only way to do it is actually go see your congressman in person and get in their face and tell them what they're doing is wrong. you got to put pressure on them. And you make a stink. You make a scene. And, uh, you know, one of my be- my favorite examples is when in New Jersey there was a congressman, Lobiondo, who uh, was asked what what Article 1, Section 1 says, and he started reciting the First Amendment. And they said, no, 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 what does Article 1, Section 1 say? The guy didn't even know the Constitution. It was embarrassing. But that's what we have uh, for the most part in Washington, D.C. So... Um, this is also why we need to return more power to the states, because our our quote-unquote federal representatives know nothing about what they're doing. All right, so I'd highly recommend going out and getting this, A Less Perfect Union, The Case for States Rights by Adam Friedman. It's a great little book. I say little, it's well over 300 pages, so it's pretty meaty. Um, and it is, But it is punchy, it's a quick read, uh, you'll enjoy it. Again, I can quibble with some of his history, but I think the... Um, the points he brings up about where federal o- overreach is, is just extremely oppressive is, is very, very good and worth your time to read it. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClendon Show.